Hello and welcome to this mini podcast episode of Love Your Library. Thanks once again to Borrowbox, the library app that allows you to download ebooks and audiobooks for free. My name's Kate Price McCarthy, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking to Sharon Gosling about her brand new book, The House Beneath the Cliffs. It's the story of Anna, who on impulse buys a tiny cottage in a remote Scottish fishing village. It's about how she rediscovers her love of cooking and what she uncovers about herself and the community into which she's landed. In the interview, Sharon talks about what drew her to the magical village of Crivy, what differences she's noticed about writing for an adult rather than a young adult audience, and how her fictional meals have come to life thanks to foodie friends. The interview starts with Sharon reading from the first chapter of the book. Chapter 1. The spring sky above the ocean was a bright and brilliant blue, streaked with the occasional wisp of white cloud as if someone careless had released candy floss into the North Sea wind. Anna drove to the edge of the cliff, where the road vanished over what seemed to be a blunt edge, and then on past the sign, declaring the point beyond which only the cars of residents should pass. Around her, grassy farmland tipped towards the water, until the slope became an angle that not even the cattle could abide. The road cut down and over the cliffs, sinking quickly between green-covered clefts splashed with the paint of wildflowers nodding in the breeze. Halfway down, a precipitous footpath divided itself from the tarmac, a wooden sign pointing the way on foot. The road continued on, curling back on itself in a bend so sharp that Anna wasn't sure she'd make it, even in her tiny tin can excuse for a car. Beyond it, the village of Crivy unspooled below her to her right, a string of houses clinging like colourful limpets to the wild lip of the narrow shoreline beneath the cliffs. The road opened out slightly as it reached level ground, backed by one or two wooden huts before it turned into a rocky beach that curved away from the village towards a towering promontory of grass-shrouded red rock. Before her, the North Sea stretched into the horizon, the edge of the land crashing down to meet it in overlapping folds that reached far into the softening distance. The tide was out, the road squeezed between the cliffs and a sheer drop down onto a jagged field of wet black rocks and smaller tumbled stones. Anna pulled up and switched off her engine, staring out at the dip and swell of the blue-green expanse ahead and trying to gather her thoughts. She'd been there less than two minutes before a shadow slanted against her face, swiftly followed by a single sharp rap on the glass. Through it scowled an old man. Anna wound down the window. You cannot park here, he said. Tis a residence only. He turned briefly to shake his cane at the backside of another sign she'd ignored. Tourists have to park at the top and walk. But I am a resident, Anna told him. B&B and holiday rentals didn't count, he interrupted, still scowling. Tourists park at the top. Anna decided that she was done being at a disadvantage and so unclipped her seatbelt and pushed open the door. On her feet, she stood head over him, yet he remained imposing. His shoulders, hunched now, were still broad and must have once been powerful. Lines traced around his eyes and mouth, deep creases weathered by a life probably lived largely outdoors. I'm not a tourist, she said. I'm a resident, a permanent one. I've bought the Fisher girl's luck. Anna tried for a smile and put out a hand. It's nice to meet you, mister. He recoiled as if she was holding out something offensive, then looked her up and down with clear contempt. You, he hissed. You're the one. Yes, my name is Anna. Anna Campbell. I... He shocked her by turning away and spitting violently at the ground. That bloody place, he said. Old Robbie should have let the ruddy sea take it. Then he turned his back and began to hobble away, faster than she would have given him credit for. Wait, she called after a moment. Please, I don't want to get off on the wrong foot. Can't we talk just for a minute? He didn't stop. 
Anna watched his retreating back with a sense of dread. She leaned against the car, feeling suddenly defeated. She hadn't even been here five minutes and her worst fears had been realised. This wasn't going to be a haven. No one was going to want her here. As we've just heard, the book opens with Anna arriving at the village of Crovey, which she soon learns the locals call Crivy. And she's there to, she hopes, start her new life. Um, so would you tell us a bit about how the story develops from there? So, yeah, Anna's finished a long relationship that she's been on for a long time. And she, her father's recently died and left her some money. And it, she's kind of reached this point of, in her life where she's not really sure what she wants to do anymore. She was always determined to be a chef, but now she's not sure that's what she's going to do. So she's ended this relationship and she's moved to Crivy. And she's bought this house because she can afford to, essentially, but she hasn't actually seen it. She's just seen photographs of it. And when she gets there, she realises that it, it really is just a shed, a stone shed on the on the seawall in this tiny village that doesn't even have a road going through it. And she thinks she's made a hideous mistake and she's almost immediately decides to leave again and she's just going to rent it out. And But then she meets some of her neighbours and um, slowly they kind of bring her out of herself and and she decides to stay a little bit more and then she decides to stay for the summer. And really through the community that's in the village and the friends that she makes there, she becomes more of herself again and she starts cooking again and starts a lunch club on her little bench by the sea. And it's it's really about how she kind of finds herself again and then unexpected things happen. The, the village itself is in quite a precarious place because it is literally under a cliff by the sea. So it's also about how difficult it is to live in a place like that. The people around you that you need to rely on and how important community is really, which is something she discovers and that she hasn't had because she's been in this relationship. It's been quite isolating for a while. Slowly she meets people and it's, it's really about her finding her place in life again, I think. Anna is the central figure in the book, but I'd say that the other main character is the village of Crivy itself. And I love a story with a strong sense of place. And this really has it by the bucket load. And I've never heard of Crivy before, but I was delighted to find out that it really does exist. And I was immediately kind of tracking it down on Google and <laughs> wondering if I could make it there for my next holiday. So can you tell us um, a bit about how you came to hear about the place and why you decided to set it there? Yeah, I'd, I'd had the idea for the story before I even actually discovered Privy. About 12 years ago now, my then boyfriend, he's now my husband, and I went on holiday up to um, Scotland. And we visited uh, Pennon, which is another village along the coast. And uh, yeah, and I saw this little shed that I thought, I, I have quite a penchant for the idea of living in very small places. We've got a very small cottage here in quite a remote place. And I'm fascinated by how people make that work. And I saw this place, I was like, oh, I could live there. And then I realised that someone was living there. <laughs> I was like, well, how does that work? How how do you make it work? How do you how do you find yourself living somewhere like that? And how do you, in practical terms, how do you make it work? And um, and that story percolated in my head for a long time. I was writing children's fiction at the time, and um, and nonfiction books, but that story stayed with me. And and my agent kept saying, you've got to write this story. I you know I really like it. I told her about the plot, and she's like, please write it, please write it. Anyway, years later, we went on holiday to the same area again, but we were a different part of the coast. And it was when I was trying to get a first draft of this book out and I came across Crivy, which is just fascinating. And we were there in, in a very high spring tide. And by the time we'd walked down and walked back again, we were both completely soaked. I was like, this is amazing. How do people live here? It's fantastic. And then you can see and you can see Gamry, you can see gardens down across the across the route. And I already knew that I wanted the lifeboat to be involved in the whole idea of connected communities. And it just all fell into place really then. So um, I didn't know Crivy when I started writing this, but now I, we, we've been back several times and 
I just love it. It's just such a wonderful place. It, it's such an extraordinary place to live and, to, and a beautiful place to visit. Mm. I definitely encourage people to go there on holiday because it's great. <laughs> but just as in the book, it has some tough times. The real place has had tough times as well. Absolutely. Ironically, it was the, the same year that I was there that they had huge storms on that coast and the road was shut for almost a year when they were trying to shore it up. Um, so the only way in and out was was by boat or on foot, which is pretty extraordinary to think about, really. As I say in my author's note, it's, it's kind of a testament to the tenacity of the families that live there, how much they love the village and were determined to stay there, despite the fact that getting to and from the village was made so much harder. Of food and cooking, as you've mentioned, they also play a really central role within the book. Yeah, my mouth was watering quite a lot of the time when you were discussing the lunch club. Anna is a professional chef and she brings her cooking to this remote coast. So how did you go about getting this side of the story authentic? Well, I've got I've worked in kitchens a lot. I do a lot of baking. In fact, before COVID, I was I was a baker at a friend's cafe. I do a lot of sweet baking myself, uh, but I also have chef friends. So um I'm a bit of a foodie. I love cooking, particularly when you visit somewhere like Crivy. It's great to use to try local produce if you can. And, and I'm always interested in that. So it's really incorporating that and then researching what was available in the area. Actually, some of my chef friends, bless them, have uh, come up with the recipes to go with some of the ideas that I came up with, which I'm really excited about. One of my chef friends has literally just messaged me saying, oh, I've got photographs now of what, what I've done to go with your recipes. So that's a big passion of mine as well. So it was a lot of fun coming up with what would she cook? She's there at that time of year. What would she cook? What could she harvest herself? There's one part of the book is she finds a recipe book from her predecessor who lived at the house. And so she makes some of the recipes out of that. And so, you know, what can you pick on the clifftops? And so, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun, actually. I really enjoyed that side of it. I'm looking forward to sharing some of the recipes. I'm going to have a blog and share a few of the recipes that come out of the book as well, which would be good, I think. <laughs> that would be great. I love the idea that we could have Anna's cookbook coming out of the door. Now, I'm glad to say the story does provide Anna with her fair share of love interest. But I'd also say it doesn't ever feel like her life's purpose is centred around the man or men in her life. And um, Was that something that you were keen to convey? She's that bit older, maybe for a character in this kind of book. She's approaching 40 and yeah, I wanted her to be still be interested in a career. Yes, she'd, she'd like to have a family if she can or, you know, she'd like to find love, but that I didn't want that to be her main driving force. I think it's really important to show women, particularly of possibly of that age, a little bit younger than me now, that, that it's not it's not all about just looking for a man to settle down with. There tends to be a drive towards youth is the important thing and kind of by the time you're 40 you're supposed to be settled and you know everything and, and you've done everything that you were going to do and you're settling down and I don't think certainly from my my point of view that's not true so that's definitely what I wanted for Anna as well she's still pushing herself she's still finding new aspects of herself that she doesn't know that are beyond just love interest um, now there's much in the book about the legacy of the past and the way that Anna uses that to find a way forward for the future, both for herself and for the village. I'm thinking particularly, you mentioned it already, about the way she uses her predecessor's cookery book to then inform her own cooking. So is that, is that a theme that you wanted to explore, the way that the future can build on the past in that way? Definitely, yeah, especially in a place like Crivy, where the reason it exists there is so much the connection to the past. You know, it's there because it was a fishing village. Um, and even though that industry is largely gone now, certainly it's, that's the reason it was there. The oceans is so much a shaping influence on, on the village. So 
really important to, to reflect that. Um, an earlier draft of the book actually had a whole strand with Bren in it, exploring her life as a herring lassie, because I just find that fascinating. That was something that came out of my research as I was researching this book and and the area and, and the women, the Scottish women who spent a lot of their early years, they would start when they were 12, 13 and travel until pretty much until they got married. A lot of them would travel gutting the herring, following the fishing fleets, and, and it gave them huge independence and they traveled. And certainly me coming from the South, think if I was going to think about a village and what women's lives would be like in a village like that in the 1850s up until 1914, essentially, I wouldn't have thought that they had that independence, that they went out there and they made their own money. And that was fascinating to discover and how tough their lives were and, and how tough they were. So, yeah, I definitely wanted to reflect that in the book. And even though Bren's a minor character, really, in the book, I really wanted her influence to be there. And, you know, the reason that the shed is there for the Fisher Girls Luck exists for Anna to come and have her life in it is because Bren wanted her life the way she wanted it. She didn't want to just get married and settle down and do as she was told and be beholden to other people. What comes before forges what comes ahead. And um, I think it's very easy for women now. We still have plenty of struggles, but I think it's very easy to forget how hard it was for women in the past. And I think we shouldn't because that's how you lose, <laughs> how you lose a lot of the advances that you have. Yeah, I did feel Bren was a very... Um a rounded character within the book, considering she's not in the book. She very much is part of the books. Um, now, I'm interested to know whether Anna's adventure mirrors your own life in any way, because I know you were originally an entertainment journalist and now you're based in a small village in northern Cumbria. So are there any parallels between your story and Anna's? I guess a little bit from the point of view of we moved from Crystal Palace to Croglin, which is, you know, 30 houses and 30,000 sheep. And I don't drive. So I'm, I guess from that point of view, it does. So, and, and actually a lot, a lot of the usual suspects kind of mirror our wonderful neighbours around us. Like there's a lot of elements of our friends that we've made in the village. The idea of relying on a community because we all need to help each other to get through difficult times. A few years ago, the beast from the East hit and we were cut off for a week. And, you know, if you're not friends with your neighbours, if you don't know your neighbours, then that's a very difficult thing to go through. Everyone has to kind of help each other and, and it is a great community here. I think definitely that more than anything else, really. And possibly the idea of finding exactly what it is you want to do. There is this community of locals that really add to the richness of life for Anna in Crivy. As you say, they, they make it a reason for her to stay. There's Pat and Frank and then the rest of, as you say, she comes to term them the usual suspects. And so I'm glad to see that they they were inspired by people you know. From what I read, your life is very dominated by books. You write <laughs> and you collect books and your husband sells books. You've got a bookshop called With Nail Books. So yeah. I'd love to hear a bit more about the bookshop and your life there. The bookshop is in, entirely my husband's. I mean, obviously, we, it's ours in the sense that we're married, but it's entirely my husband's. He's a brilliant, brilliant bookseller and um, knows something about everything. I love watching him work because, he'll, you know, someone will come into the shop and they won't know what they're looking for. And within a few kind of questions, Adam will be able to recommend something that they've never even heard of. And yeah, he's fascinating like that. My husband was a nonfiction editor. He still is. He freelances. Um, and that's how we met, actually. Um, he edited my first book many, many years ago. <laughs> before we really knew each other and um yeah with now books came out of we knew we wanted to move out of London and we were looking for somewhere to have the bookshop and we had just ended up with many many books because we never throw any books away <laughs> so it's like okay well we've got the stock 
and yeah we, we have a very small house here which is absolutely full of books we need an extension which we, we could probably build out of books to be honest <laughs> i noticed on the website it says we opened a bookshop by mistake which yeah. i really i really <laughs> enjoyed that reference am i right in thinking that you do kind of limited edition print runs with these beautiful lino prints yeah. in them? Wow. Yeah, since I've been here, actually, I start, I've started doing lino cuts. So it's really nice. It's a lo lovely project that Adam and I have together where he'll come up, he'll find some amazing niche that no one's realised exists and he'll produce the text and get one of my friends to design it. And then he'll ask me to do a, a lino cut to go with it. I've got three that I need to do, actually. <laughs> we need to get those done. And that's lovely, actually, being able to work together like that is really lovely to produce something. And, and Adam's so meticulous. Um just makes beautiful things which it, and it's nice to be a part of that it's nice to have a joint project like that i can really recommend sharon's twitter feed if you want to escape to a world of books cakes allotments <laughs> and uh, and lino cuts now while uh, the house beneath the cliffs is your first adult novel you've written quite a few uh, ya and children's books before and in fact one of your ya books fur was shortlisted for the hampshire book awards a year or so back and uh, so what made you make the move into writing for a different audience? It sounds like your publisher was one of your the people that encouraged you to do that. Yeah, uh, my agent, Ella. Yeah, I, um, I, th I think I'd always, always intended to, to write adult fiction. I, I tend to be an author that just writes whatever comes along. And yeah, this idea had been around for a long time. I, th I think weirdly, I felt like I didn't have the emotional maturity to write for adults, which is ridiculous because it's not like, you know, writing for children is is just as there's as much depth in writing for children. Um, I just didn't feel like I had the confidence to do that. It took me quite a long time to convince myself. I hadn't ever thought of myself as a children's author. I'd kind of just thought of myself as an author, but I happened to be writing children's books because I've written um, adult short stories quite a lot. It was just getting that long draft out. So do you think you'll keep writing for both audiences? I think so. I'm just about to deliver my next children's book and then I need to go back to the second draft of the next adult book because there's another Simon & Schuster book coming. I'm hoping to keep going on both because I love writing for children. Can you give us a sneak idea into what your, your next adult book is about? Privy does actually feature in it. So it's not a sequel, but it's kind of adjacent. It's the same, in the same universe, should we say. Going back to my geek roots there. So yeah, it's um, another story about community really because I think that's a big part of what drives me and it features a lot of books <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally it would be good to know if libraries have played a role in your love of books at all no huge huge roles I come from quite a poor family we didn't have any money to buy books we didn't have a television we were that, we were so poor we didn't have a tv when I was a kid but what we did have was three libraries within walking distance when I was growing up and I just read my way through everything I could get my hands on <laughs> and yeah mum and dad were forever taking us my, me and my brother to the library without libraries I wouldn't be an author I think books are my life and that was because I had somewhere to go that I could read whatever books I wanted without ha having to buy them and because that wouldn't have been possible so libraries are hugely hugely important